Hi, everybody. Thank you for this next edition of, or thank you for coming to this next edition of Earth Day Live. Uh, this is the uh, webinar on break free from plastic dependency. Um, and thank you for everyone for coming. Um, in the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the food we eat, there is plastic pollution. It is a widespread, complex environmental uh, complex environmental health emergency that requires global changes in policy, corporate sourcing, innovation, and consumer behaviors to solve. Grassroot action and restoration technologies are also needed to clean up plastic pollution whenever it is found. Like other environmental scourges, plastic pollution impacts developing nations the most. For this webinar, EarthDay.org has gathered global experts, including activists, scientists, and corporate innovators in order to share their perceptions on plastic pollution and show us where we are and what we need to do in order to achieve a plastic-free future. I will now pass it over to activist and awarded actor, Ed Bagley. Thank you so much, Jake. It's wonderful to be here and we've got a prestigious panel, so I'm gonna get right to it. First of all, we have Alex Schultz. Alex is the CEO and co-founder of 4Ocean, a purpose-driven business with a mission to end the ocean plastic crisis while working to educate individuals and help change their single-use plastic consumption habits on land. 4Ocean uh, conducts ocean cleanups daily with full-time captains and crews working globally at operations in Florida, Bali, Haiti, and Guatemala. The cleanups are funded entirely through product purchases with one pound of trash removed for every product purchased. As a result, the team has pulled more than 10 million pounds of trash since the company was founded in January, 2017. Alex, why don't you say a brief hello? Awesome. Thank you very much, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, very excited to, to be a part of this discussion. Thank you so much, Alex. Next up, Charlie Rolski, postdoctoral researcher, helped create a method to extract microplastics from human tissue. Scientific advisor in North America for Plastics Oceans, Oceans International, where he is host of a YouTube series, Breaking It Down. Say hello, will you please, Charlie? Hello everyone, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited for this discussion. Thank you, Charlie. Next up is Malati Wizen, founder of Bye Bye Plastic Bags. Bye Bye Plastic Bags was born in 2013 and has now grown into a well-known international movement of inspiration, youth empowerment, and of course, saying no to plastic bags. Malati, welcome. Excited to be representing Indonesia. Uh, any of you tuning in, it's past midnight here. And happy to be representing the female population and the youth population. So excited to take part in today's conversation. Thank you so much, Malati. Next up, Billy Lombi, founder and CEO of Center for Zero Waste and Development in Africa. He helped to train more than 400 teachers and community leaders in solid waste management and climate change related issues and further engage about 120,000 pupils to be active environmental agents, leaders in the community. Billy, thank you so much for being part of this. I'm super great, excited uh, for this opportunity and uh, thank you very much, Eddie. Thank you. And finally, the last introduction is for Arun Krishnamurti, started the Environmental Environmentalist Foundation of India or EFI in 2007. EFI is a community-based organization that is focused on real-time result-oriented conservation efforts. Arun is also the recipient of many prestigious awards and recognitions, such as 
the Rolex Award for Enterprise, Jane Goodall Youth Leadership Award, and many others. Today, Arun continues its conservation efforts, which have expanded to multiple communities around India. Welcome, Arun. Namaste. Thank you for this opportunity. I look forward to a healthy discussion, which helps us find a sustainable solution. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, the gathering of new information on plastic pollution, the systems that are in place that contribute to its growth allow for the emergence of new theories and strategies to break away from our current polluting cycle. Alex, we all know that plastic is bad and we keep, it, we keep continuing to use it. What are some core elements to changing our perception on plastic, Alex? And I think some of the, the most important items to, to changing the perception on plastics is really to just be able to show consumers around the world the, the damage that it's having on our oceans. I think, you know, being able to, to use these different videos, photos, and, and these visuals to show people the, the impact that it's having is, is incredibly important. You know, in the States, uh, especially, we have, a, we have a great waste management infrastructure. So a lot of the times when we're recycling this plastic, or, or any plastic is thrown away, it truly does go out of sight, out of mind. And I think, uh, you know, around the world where there, <clears throat> there are areas that do not have that uh, level of waste management infrastructure, that's where the, the plastic is entering the ocean at an alarming rate. And I think that if we have the ability to, to show that impact that it's having on the oceans, um, that's gonna be a, a big win for changing the overall perception. But uh, aside from just showing the impact that this plastic is having, I think it's also very important to show people, uh, you know, the, the sustainable routes that they can take in their daily lives to, to have a serious impact on the amount of plastic that's being consumed, uh, produced, and, and ending up in our oceans. And I think it's our job to just really show that, you know, uh, it's progress, not perfection, and, and trying to encourage as many people as we can to try and live a more sustainable lifestyle and, and we just need to make cleaning the ocean and sustainability cool in a sense. Thank you, Alex, for that perspective. Very well put. Charlie, are there any emerging technologies or theories to address plastic pollution that we should be paying attention to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a big push for more bio-based plastics, you know, to be replacing the single-use petroleum-based plastics that we've seen so commonly. And uh, there's certainly a lot of technology on that end of the spectrum that that has been put in place. We just have to be really careful that we don't create something that's so much like plastic that it ends up lasting for just as long in the environment or it's able to have that kind of dangerous interaction with surrounding contaminants in the environment. Um, but there's certainly, you know, it, it's great. Kind of like what Alex said, it's gonna take steps to get there. We can't go cold turkey from all or nothing. It's, it's an incremental process and it, the, the new innovations and the new technologies is certainly really exciting. I think a great way to put the scale of plastic pollution into perspective is to compare it to climate change. Like climate change, plastic pollution is a global issue that affects everybody. However, it does not affect everybody equally. Some places in the world deal with much more plastic waste than others. So, Malati, throughout your experience, have you noticed a disproportionate effect of plastic pollution around the world? And tell us what are some of the ways we can enlighten people on this unfortunate fact? Yeah, um, thank you for the question. I think as well, Alex, I'm so glad we're connected and on this panel together as well. Um, huge admirer of what you're doing, especially seeing the effects here on Bali, where I grew up and where I started my movement seven years ago now at the age of 12. And, you know, what you were saying as well, Alex, and towards the question, I think also to enlighten people is to show that there are real life tangible solutions um, at our fingertips, right? It's, it doesn't require 
um, technology or necessarily the government to take action where we come in as a youth-led movement with Bye Bye Plastic Bags is really to empower people and to empower communities that they can lead by example, that they can take action first. And um, I think it's, it's also a, a huge part of that is unlearning. Um, if we look at Indonesia, before plastic even existed, we had our own technologies, which goes back to nature, right? We had banana leaves, we had traditional woven baskets that did the um, exact thing that plastic is now doing for us. Um, so I think it's a lot about unlearning and going back to our traditional roots. Um, and that has been very effective in the work that we do to empower the community to change from plastic to alternatives. Arun, I would put that same question to you. Have you seen a disproportionate effect of plastic pollution around the world? Is that question directed to me? Yes, for you, Arun. Yes. Me of your experience I have to show, in fact, this is all the plastic that was dumped on me since the beginning of the month. And we are not even through the month, right? So my larger thing is more than looking at technological solutions. What we should look at is self-discipline because that is what is going to help us get through this uh, catastrophe because we might be able to find a short-term solution through technology currently, but that's only going to lead way to more damages, which is what we are experiencing here from where I come from. So more than looking at uh, solutions for a problem that we're creating, can we stay away from the problem is the larger request that I wish to place, not just to this panel, but to everybody who's watching. Even though I try to refute, all of this, roughly around 400 grams of plastic was dumped on me, forcibly dumped on me, where I have I had no choice but to use it. I've not thrown it out, but I've stored it. And how many of these eco bricks do I make? And what do I do with those bricks? These are questions that we have. So how, how efficient are the recycling techniques? And if recycling is not the way forward, if we are incinerating, isn't that further damage? So more than looking at technology-based solutions to a problem that we're creating, can we not look at avoiding the problem and staying away from the problem is my standpoint in this issue. Very good, Arun. Thank you for that perspective. Billy, while many are left to deal with the burden of plastics, there are few that benefit immensely from its production. Do we need to bring accountability to major plastics producers? How can we do this? Thank you very much, Ed, for the question. Um, the, We've seen the challenges of plastic pollution and we've all talked about the, the impacts that it has to our marine life and also to um, our infrastructure, you know, uh, clogging the drains, especially here in Africa and, 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 and the flooding that has been experienced for so many years. Most of these plastics are being produced by companies, especially through the packaging. Um, so the, the bigger issue that we are looking at now is the waste audits and brand audits, which uh, we're a member of the Break Free from Plastic and also the GEAR. Uh, and actually, I'm, I'm part of the Africa advisory team. So what we did is that um, when we came up with that initiative, it's working quite well, even at the local level. It can even work at the village level to hold accountable the, the big companies who are the ones producing most of these single-use packaging. So what we do is that rather just you know uh, conducting our usual cleanups but we also make sure that we document uh, who's behind you know uh, the litter that has been generated in the communities clogging our drains and also causing our uh, uh, putting a threat to our marine life 
So initially, the, the brand audits and waste audits have been working quite well in order to deal with the issue of accountability to hold the companies accountable to the single use packaging that they produce. So this is an initiative that has been uh, working quite well at all level, even at the uh, local level, at the national level, even at the global level. And now we have the top 10 most polluted companies in the world, and they are getting to do something about it based on the data which was released through the brand audits and waste audits. Thank you. Thank you, Billy. As we all know, plastics don't actually leave our environment. They just continue to break down into smaller and smaller pieces, eventually becoming microplastics and finding its way into almost everything around us. Charlie, why are microplastics such a concern for us? Well, it just as what you said, because of their size and their, their characteristics, they're able to penetrate virtually every ecosystem that we've established up to this point, whether it's the bottom of the ocean, it's the tops of mountains and, and fibers making their way through the air. Um, just due to their size, they're able to not only get there, but enter the food chain and make their way up to some of the top tier predators, including us. And uh, we also know that due to their other characteristics and because they have a high surface area, they're able to absorb really harmful contaminants at very high concentration. So essentially they're acting as a vehicle transporting these really nasty things either into organisms or even into us. Um, and because of those two predominantly, they, they pose a threat to, to really any organism or any ecosystem that they're interacting with. And they're really, really hard to remove. And oftentimes they're even hard to see. So it's almost like this silent killer. Do we have solutions now for microplastics that are already in our environment? Anybody? I mean, that's a really good question. There are some remediation strategies that have been created to help remove them from the environment. But, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially that, that kind of story about the tap, you know, running and flooding a certain, you know, flooding your kitchen where we stop the microplastics by stopping the macroplastics, by stopping the plastic uses, reducing it, and, and sort of looking at each role that we have in our current communities. And it stops there. You know, and, and I think our, our other speakers could, could actually share their perspective as well. Thank you very much, Charlie. This is for anybody. Do you think there's a need for scientists, scientists to better convey information to the general public? Uh, can I answer the previous question once, if you don't mind? Yes, please do. With regards to the microplastic issue, right? Whether it's lakes, ponds that we constantly clean up, what we have realized is, uh, we've reached a point of no return because the kind of concentration of the microplastic and the kind of efforts that one sees on ground, the efforts get diluted in front of the concentration of the plastic. That's what we're witnessing. Uh, that's exactly where rather than worsening the situation any further, we should look at how we're going to avoid and refuse plastic to ensure no further addition is done. But even if we start a new effort today, uh, in our own uh, modest assessment here in the subcontinent, we're looking at anywhere another 15, 17 years before when that kind of an effort to reach the larger population for us to see a substantial result on ground. So that's the, uh, that's the impact of the usage in such large populations that we are witnessing. So the microplastic issue has actually reached to a point of no return, in my opinion. And this is not a pessimistic view. This is not a negative view, but this is unfortunately the truth. Uh, Thank I think you so much, Arun. I think also, Billy, go uh, ahead. Yes, uh, I think that's also one of the important points is that uh, the issue of microplastics is that uh, 
for example, to this part of the world, uh, Africa, um, some people don't know much about what are my microplastics and the impacts that they have. And so the, the biggest thing that we are emphasizing most is the issue of uh, education, awareness raising, get, reaching out to the younger ones in schools, uh, sensitizing them so that they get to know what are the challenges that, you know, the impacts of microplastics to our environment and also, and how they can impact our, our food systems, you know. And, and, and that is where we come into, you know, to educate and raise awareness. And uh, we've been doing this for so many years because this has been a very big issue and, um, and, and, and it's an issue that people uh, don't know much about, you know. Uh, and, and certain things are more scientific. So we try to bring down to a level where people can really understand and, and, and get involved and hold either companies or the government accountable to get to put up policies or laws or bylaws which are, can deal effectively with these things before the, the, the issue gets out of hand. Thank you, Billy. Wonderful perspective on that. As we've discussed, plastic pollution comes in varying scales, though the most notable is the physical pollution of communities around the world. This is a very real issue that affects the young, the old, the healthy environment. Malati, what kind of role can youth activists play in helping to deal with plastic pollution in their communities? I absolutely love this question. And Billy, you set the stage for us. Um, you know, it's so important to involve young people in educating us, empowering us to not only understand the problem, but also to get involved in the solution. So I believe that the role that young people play is to accelerate um, the change that we need to see. And that's because we're fueled by passion, but also the knowledge that we don't have the luxury of time. We know that everything is happening in our lifetime, so we want to know the solutions. We point out the elephant in the room and we're saying, why can't this happen faster? And I know that from my own experience on the front lines here in Bali with Bye Bye Plastic Bags, six years um, for our youth-led movement to raise momentum about banning single-use plastic bags. And take note, before us and during our campaign, there's more organizations, more like-minded people who are way more knowledgeable, um, who are lawyers, who are volunteers, saying the same message. So I think young people and the role that we play is definitely the acceleration of the change we want all want to see um, in our communities. Very well put, Malati. Arun, in your experience, with plastic cleanups, how can cleanups be used to raise awareness? Do they ever translate to continued action after the cleanups? That's exactly what we have realized. Uh, the number of people who dump trash in open natural habitats gradually reduces over a period of time. Uh, having the experience of cleaning their own trash, people realize what this does. Because use and throw, we've all been taught how to dump trash into a dumpster or a trash bin. We have never told the story of where this ends up. It either goes into a marshland, into the oceans. That connection, that connecting the dots, we have never been exposed to. So when we take, when we invite people to volunteer with us in cleaning lakes, ponds, beach fronts, and when they experience firsthand, when they pick out that diaper that was thrown, when they pick out that shampoo sachet, when they pick out that plastic straw, when they pick out that rubber tire to a footwear, they realize the quantum of non-biodegradable items in our life and how that impacts natural habitat. And it brings a change in their lifestyle, definitely. People think twice before indulging in such practices once again, but it takes more time to 
for a considerable change and uh, and given the fact that we are a large population i'm not just talking about india when you take uh, the larger human population for this message to reach as one of the co-panelists was mentioning most people don't even understand what microplastic is so when are we going to get this message to them so that's the primary challenge there is definitely a positive impact in those who volunteer that's exactly why these voluntary movements are critically important to bring more awareness in the society well yeah. put Arun. very well put sorry if i may uh jump in on that i i agree with Arun on that um i run the great global cleanup uh campaign for earth day network and um one of the things that i've noticed from seeing people do cleanups is that it's a very intimate way to start to interact with your environment and your community. And we really think here at uh, earthday.org that cleanups can be the first step to a whole lifetime of activism. And um, it's really a great way to start exposing yourself to the activist movement, to what it's like to do good for your environment and especially just your community around you. Um, so yeah, thank you for your words on that, Aaron. I appreciate them. Yeah, and, and, and Jake, I think, sorry, go ahead, Alex, please. Sure, and then Jake, I think you know you, that, that's a great point. I think you know with with Four Ocean, like for example, when we first started this business, the, our our sole objective was uh, let's clean up the the mess that's at our feet, right? And and that's how we started with the business, and we quickly realized that you know we have to be careful not to 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 spread the the message that simply cleaning the ocean alone can solve this issue, right? It's this is this is not going to uh, we can't clean our way out of this mess. I think that's one thing that you know we're we're trying to to utilize cleanups to really show people the impact uh, that the plastic is having on the environment and really make it relatable to the point where people understand what's happening and and give them the opportunity to learn about you know cleaning up this plastic and what they can do personally to have an impact on the amount of plastic that's entering the ocean. You know the, these corporations are producing plastic for these brands and these brands are producing plastic for consumers. And we as consumers have the, the choice to, to pick sustainable options. And I think that's just the most important part, how we can utilize cleanups to start that process, like Jake was saying. It's that first step into uh, a, a more sustainable future. Well put. I will confess to this crowd now, the information that I was operating with, and I bring it up in the general category of misinformation, informing people so people who are well-intentioned can do the right things. Here's the advice I gave to friends when people would ask me is supposedly, uh, I as a noted environmentalist, people would say, well, paper versus plastic, this is 20, 30 years ago. I say, oh, that's an easy one, plastic. Use plastic because they got that bin at the, my supermarket and all over, you put those plastic bags in there and they make them into new stuff, it's wonderful. You don't wanna take down trees. That's how wrong I was 20, 30 years ago. And then of course I learned how little of that is recycled, the small, percentage of it that actually winds up in a recycle bin and is used for something and the way it continues to break down is ultimately it's going to become little plastic fragments, microplastics and what have you, no matter what you do to it. So the level of misinformation is extraordinary. Also, you know, thinking years ago, well, maybe we can, boy, that gyre's out there in the ocean. We'll just kind of go out there and scoop it up, which is like taking a little kitchen strainer and cleaning up the Sahara Desert from, you know, it's just insane. And assuming also that all the stuff is on the surface, not only would you get a lot of bycatch, a lot of marine life by scooping it up in that way, but a lot of it's halfway down, all the way down in the ocean. You can't, there's no way, there's just no way to physically do that. And so people have even well-intentioned people like myself have misinformation. I've been schooled on it now for 
for years and know the right answer to that question, which is definitely don't use that plastic. But how do we educate people? How do we get the word out there in a, in a timely manner? I think if I can jump jump on that one um, as a 19 year old change maker, totally consumed in how we can accelerate the knowledge and the education of people on a mass scale. Um, I think it's also, Ed, I think it's really important to acknowledge that um, you know the, the, the information that we had years ago was not at all at the standpoint that what we have right now. We have the science, we have the data, people have been studying this for years and finally publishing and sharing in a way that we can um, digest it on a you know individual level. So I think it's also really important to acknowledge that as individuals, what we may have known a couple of years ago is now corrected, adjusted, evolved into new statistics, new facts. And I think it's really important that we're um, open to evolution of knowledge. Um, but I think also it's, it's really the transparency of that. And we also talked about earlier, you know, how important it is for scientists and people who are on the front line studying this to be communicating it in a way that is digestible, again, for young people, for business leaders, for uh, literally politicians, anybody who needs to be uh, creating these regulations for change. Um, so I think it's this transparency and communication of the new data, of the new facts that we need to have on a more bigger scale that we're not seeing today. And that's where, again, young people are kind of coming in, trying to connect the dots. Um, all the young people that have the opportunity and the privilege to be in panel discussions at the UN or attend virtual conferences with scientists. And we're trying to communicate that out on social media, on TikTok, uh, you know, and we're trying to spread the word as, as quickly as possible. So I think it's, it's definitely that transparency and communication that needs to happen a lot um, more for us to be able to scale quicker on the solutions and the knowledge uh, for the mass population to get on board with saying no to plastic pollution. Thank you, Malati, well and, put. And also, Ed, uh, and just to add on that, and also the, the, the most important thing also is that we need to do the issue of uh, the narrative which is there. You know, there's um, most of the narrative which is there has brought us to the mess that we are into now for the plastics, you know, to be plastic pollution, to be a global crisis, just like climate change. And for example, when you, there has been too much talk about recycling, that let's produce these plastics, then we are going to recycle them, you know? And that has, is not what is happening when you go on the ground. The real situation is that, you know, a lot of plastic has, hasn't, been hasn't been recycled. Most of it is in the oceans, you know, and it's almost everywhere, it's buried under our ground. And it takes so many years to, you know, more than 400 years, more than 500 years. So the, the issue is that recycling, once we change, the people really understand that recycling is not a super bullet, then at least it will help us to get to deal with the real issues. And the real issues is that we need to produce less plastics, you know, and we know that the less the plastic we produce, the better recycling rate, you know. So we are producing so much in such a way that it's hard for us to deal, even when we, we, we do the cleanup or whatever. Even the countries, for example, the US, most of it, it's trash, recycled plastic ended up in China. And now with the China's national sweat law, there's now a crisis. They don't know where to take the trash. They don't know where to take these recyclables, you know. And, and also people, since they have the knowledge and, and people that have been equipped, 
and, 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 and they have the tools to stand up. We've seen in the Southeast Asia, and Merit, I'm sure you have a better experience there in your country. People are, you know, they don't want to receive this, the, the, the tons and tons of shipping containers with the waste that is destined for Southeast Asia. It's been pushed back to get, so that the countries which has created this mess can deal with its own mess in their own countries. You know, so, uh, so that shows the level of education, the level of, you know, the awareness that people, the tools that people have to stand up and take these issues in their own hands and, 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 and create a better world that they want to see. And I want to emphasize, though, I spoke just a few minutes ago about the folly of trying to clean up the Sahara Desert with the kitchen sieve and trying to do that in the ocean to clean it all up is is not possible. There are people that are cleaning up some of the plastic pollution in the ocean today. There are people on this panel who are doing that and on land doing that. And there's ways to to do some cleanup. You know, Charlie Moore, as a lot of you know from Algalita, is out there in the ocean cleaning up buoys and fishing line and coolers and things that you are able to grab without harming any marine life or fish or what have you. So there are ways to do that in the ocean to a certain degree and on land to a larger degree, of course, when you have streams that are littered with it to keep it from going out to the ocean. There are booms they put out to stop the plastic from flowing to the ocean in LA and elsewhere. But again, the most important thing to remember is all that is wonderful to try to get a mop and clean up the mess in the bathroom with the tub overflowing. The first thing you want to do is turn off that spigot and stop the flow of all the single use plastic. And now I put this to the group at large address what I just said, if you will, but also the larger challenge that we have now with COVID, where people, you can't bring your own mug into Starbucks, let's say, to get coffee in it. You get things you know, delivered to your home with plastics that you otherwise wouldn't have taken. What do we do? Is there any solution to this challenge we now face with COVID? Anybody want to tackle that thorny one? Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm so, oh, sorry, Alex, you go ahead. Uh, the, the, you know, I, it is a very difficult scenario. And like you're saying with a lot of these plastics, you know, uh, a lot of different restaurants and areas for takeout. I mean, it, we've, we've, we've seen an, a rapid increase in, in PPE equipment, as well as, you know, single use styrofoam containers, bags, uh, cutlery, you know, a lot of single use plastic that is, is, is really increasing due to these COVID restrictions. Um, and, and by all means, you know, we don't have, you know, all the answers, but just trying to find ways that we could do these things a little bit more sustainably. <clears throat> like, for example, keeping compostable to go containers. And if you go to the restaurant, just asking to eat, you know, in the restaurant, they'll serve it to you on a plate and putting it into a compostable container and taking that out. I mean, there's small things that we can do by, by all means, I don't think are the silver bullet, but it's just it it's sacrificing that that small amount of convenience sake for for the environment. I think that's the most important, important thing that we can do. Very well said, Alex. I just want to say also a bit of good news that's fairly recent. It was quite a while since the pandemic struck that you could not bring your canvas bags into places like Whole Foods or other places that wouldn't let you do it. They couldn't touch them and all of that. Some places now will not only uh, allow you to use them, they will touch them and fill them. There's a Whole Foods in LA that will now do it for you, but most of them will allow you to at least bag them yourself or to put it, just put it all in the cart and you can go take the cart out to your car and or your bicycle or whatever you got and then bag them or put them in containers from there so there's ways around it that i've found and and uh, we have to get inventive and keep everybody healthy of course but also not have so much of a a new glut of plastic from this this situation we find ourselves in 
And Charlie, did you want to speak on that as well? Yeah, no, it was a great point. I, and and, and to what we were speaking on earlier, you know, at least from, from my background, it's, it's really important that scientists just, you know, don't, don't stay comfortable in the confines of a lab. Don't stay comfortable out in the field if that's where you're doing research. You have to get better at, at communicating science and being able to speak to anyone regardless of their background, regardless of their age. You have to be able to communicate what your research says and what your views are on science, you know, effectively. And, and I think that's where there is a bit of a bottleneck where scientists aren't uncomfortable enough. And we need to, we need to be able to explain our work to, to children, to people that have never had, you know, an introduction to science. And, and if we can find these different channels of communicating, I think that would open up a lot of people's eyes and ears to how bad this problem is. So a lot of that's on us. And then in terms of the pandemic, I think we all just have to double down on, on this issue as soon as things start to improve a little bit. And we need to realize how much plastic we're generating. Much like what Alex said, there are little opportunities here and there. You know, if you get a delivery order, if they don't ask you if you want plastic silverware, then you know, say that, that you don't need it. That, that's a, it seems like a small step, but if everyone collectively did that, it would be a huge reduction in single use plastics just by itself. So there, there are still opportunities for us amidst the pandemic to be able to use our voices to reduce the amount of plastic we're using. And, well put, Charlie. Thank you. Sorry. Ed, do, you mind if I, do you mind if I mention something on, on, on Charlie's point there? Please do, Alex. So, so Charlie, I, I love the fact uh, that you mentioned as far as uh, the communication. I think it's a great point as far as being able to make it relatable to, to both children, adults, and, and anyone out there. I think that, you know, as all of us as leaders in this space, it's our job to leverage these different platforms like social media and, and put this content out there in a way that can be digestible to consumers and, and, and give them actions that they can take and arm them with the, you know, basically the, the, the steps to a more sustainable future. And I think that, you know, social media and this really mainstream approach is going to be one of the, the, the heaviest hitters when it comes to how we can have impact in this space. Because if we can create that global movement all around the world in a unified kind of approach, I think that's how people will feel a little bit more comfortable in what they personally can do to get involved in this space and feel like they are having an impact. Whereas Ed, like you mentioned, you know, they may think they're doing the right thing, uh, you know, suggesting go with the plastic bag route. But if they have the right information and they, and they, they learn through it, and if, if we are, have the ability to, to arm them with that information, they can have a massive impact on the environment. I'd also like to say briefly this, we're here today gathered because of the generosity and the hard work of EarthDay.org. And so uh, please feel free to go to donate.earthday.org to donate to the Break Free from Plastic Pollution campaign or to the organization as a whole. So thank you, earthday.org, for being part of this. Go to earthday.org or quite specifically donate.earthday.org and uh, help get the word out about plastic pollution and many other important issues that Earth Day is very, very helpful with. So thank you for allowing me that shameless plug for a wonderful organization. Anybody thank else you. have anything they want to join in just let's get some free flow now about different ways that we can improve this situation. Anybody want to jump in with any thoughts or having with all they've heard? I think I can jump in. Um, I think a common thread that we've all seen and all are on the same page, hopefully at this point, including the viewers, is the narrative needs to change. But at the same time, we need to hold our political leaders accountable 
the brands accountable. It's about a, um, a designs and systems change. And I think um, as much as we talked about the consumer power that we all have as individuals, no matter what level we are, a young activist, a CEO, or a teacher at school, we all have that consumer level power, but we do need to see more policy change and um, regulation that helps enable this change to come a little bit faster into um, daily life uh, change and implementation. So I think um, that's just a, a different side of the table that I wanted to bring up to the conversation. Um, you know, here in, in uh, the work that we've been doing on Bali is really focusing on seeing how we can make a plastic bag ban happen. And even there, we've learned so much about, you know, getting a signature and a stamp on a regulation with the government is different than actually implementing the change. And so that's again where um, I think is really important if we're talking about plastic pollution and how we need to move forward. As much as grassroots level um, is so powerful and we see the value in it, it needs to come from the grounds up, but from the top down as well. And we need to meet in the middle in order to accelerate change because we know we don't have the luxury of time, but we also know that we have the data, we have the knowledge now, there is simply no excuse to wait until tomorrow to take action. I agree 100%, thank you so much. You know, um, we have a success story in the city of LA, uh, which is, I started in 1970, you know, riding my bike and taking public transportation. I was a broken, struggling actor then. I didn't have money for fancy solar panels or fancy electric cars, but I did have a very primitive little electric car I paid $950 for. And from 1970 to date, we have four times the cars in LA, millions more people, but a fraction of the smog. But I emphasize today, it wasn't just because I was doing my personal action stuff. I was a very small part of it, of course, you know, with the electric cars and the bicycle and public transportation and all that, all the different efficiencies that I sought out. That's just one pillar. The three pillars that you need to affect things on climate change for this plastic pollution issue that we're dealing with. And they are not just personal action, that's very important, but corporate responsibility and good legislation. That's how we clean up the air in LA. It wasn't just one thing with me riding a bike or taking public transportation. It also needed the Clean Air Act and the enforcement that came from that to get the air cleaner in LA and corporate responsibility to do some things to clean up power plants and vehicles and all that stuff. It takes all three. It can't be just one of them there. They're all interrelated, of course. If more people are inclined to adopt cleaner measures and corporations are more inclined to do things they can make money at that are greener and good legislation helps companies do well and helps people do the right thing. So that's something I think we can do more of with this problem we we face today. If we had a plastic bag ban, it would make it easier. If more corporations would accept their role in being corporate, being more uh, responsible in a, in a sense, you know, we could do more. They all three need to need to happen. Anybody want to talk about that or anything else that they're, that's on their mind right now? Um, I think we'll so, uh, just come to come to Africa. Uh, we've, we've been addressing the issues of uh, single-use plastic bag bans, and 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 it's it's good now that Africa uh, leads in terms of uh, having more bans around the world, and which means that we are showing the way. And uh, where people never expected that Africa can take up that step and you know lead in the bans of single-use plastics. Um, so, so what we are doing now, we are putting our efforts together and to deal with these issues in different countries. 
And, and so far, I'm, I'm working with one of my fellow activists, uh, James Wakibia from Kenya, the guy behind the ban on single-use plastics in Kenya. Um, he just used a, a camera to document the, the plastic pollution challenges. Then the government decided to put up a ban because of his work. Um, so what we are doing now, we're trying to use different tools and means to reach out to governments, to legislators. And for example, here in Zambia, uh, had an opportunity to uh, present to the Parliamentary Committee on Conservation on the importance of putting up a total ban on single-use plastics. Because we don't have a total ban, we just have a ban on 30 microns and below. And, and we have a current, you know, um, SI in place, SI number 65, such salary instrument, and also the, what we call um, the, the EPR, the you know, extended producer responsibility. For us, we are pushing to say, 30 microns and below is not enough. And when you look at the, the issue of you know, uh, enforcement has always been an issue in Africa, based also on the, 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 the paper that I did in terms of you know, looking at the, the challenges that countries face. Um, um, so I compiled a paper on the successive bans and the bans which haven't been successive and why. Uh, and, and the issue of enforcement also has been quite a big challenge. In some countries, there can be a total ban on single-use plastics, but there's no enforcement. So companies will continue to produce plastics which are of below standards or which are not supposed to be you know, produced. So it's business as usual. So now we are pushing to ensure that there's enforcement and people are penalized, you know, people behind all, all the mess that is being created. And that is the work that we've been doing and we to try to document it in such a way that uh, it's easy to, you know, uh, for uh, policymakers or, or people who are supposed to pass the laws to ensure that these are critical issues that, and they need the urgent issue, uh, you know, action to be taken to deal with them. Thank you so much, Billy. Now, Jake, I think we have time for Q&A. Do we not? Do we have any questions that are lined up in a queue somewhere for questions from our audience or otherwise? Yeah, yes. Uh, so thank you for that, Ed. Um, so I think this question would best be uh, addressed towards um, Charlie because you mentioned it. Someone was wondering what the um, difference between uh, plastics and bioplastics is. That's a good question. Yeah, so the, the term bioplastics is, is kind of new and it's a little bit uh, ambiguous. So uh, initially, what comes to mind is you're, you're not necessarily leaning on a petroleum-based source to create something. You're leaning on something that is it's considered to be more natural um, that might still aim to replicate what the, the properties of plastic are. So durable, flexible, long-lasting, um, and, and, and able to withstand certain you know, day-to-day degradative uh, sources. But at the same time, you know, if you go too far and you use something that is really resilient and isn't necessarily going to break down, you know, like a banana peel would, for example, then then you are maybe you cross a line a little bit over towards being more than a more of a plastic and less of something that's that's natural. But it certainly represents a push to be able to replace the more petroleum based polymers with something that might be more natural and have less of those, you know, those dangerous interactions with the environment and the organisms within. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Um, so Catherine Lament asks, um, please explain the limits of recycling. Why does that not solve the problem? 
And that can be for anyone that wants to answer that question. Anybody? I, I can start. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, you know, the recycling intention wasn't a bad thing, but what ends up happening is we're first overburdening these recycling centers with way too much plastic and way too much single use plastic. So even if it was efficient in a perfect world, there's just so much there that they're not able to handle it. Uh, second, when you do aim to recycle something, it, it almost reduces the structural integrity the more times that you are recycling it. And, and therefore it's not serving its initial purpose as well. And so if you kind of look at those two together, it becomes almost more cost friendly and more feasible to just go after a new product instead of trying to recycle an old product. And, and most of the time when we do say recycle plastics, I think there was a study that came out that said of, of all plastics we've recycled maybe around 9%. Um, when you do recycle it, you're turning it into something else. So for example, if we're recycling plastic water bottles here, uh, that doesn't become another plastic water bottle. Oftentimes it becomes something like a, a fiber that lines a coat or a jacket. And then you've started this other issue by washing it, having microfibers go in the gray water and make their way into the ocean. So it's, it's inefficient, it's not as cost friendly and there's just so much out there that it's, it's really difficult to make it effective. Yeah, and I, I think that was a great point, Charlie, uh, you know, with the, the fluctuating price of oil, you know, um, crude oil is, is, is basically setting the price for virgin plastic. And for a lot of these different companies, when they're going to look at recycled materials, they're basing off of cost. And it looks at, you know, virgin plastics are literally cheaper uh, and more efficient for their company to produce these plastics. And it really comes down to just that economies of scale of, of recycling, you know, the logistics, the transportation, uh, the sorting that goes into effectively recycling these materials it's incredibly costly and it's very hard for, for companies to do that, especially when you think of, you know, all the different waste plastic that is being produced. So for example, a PET bottle with a, like a polyvinyl chloride label that's around, around it, right? It looks shiny, it looks attractive to the consumer, but incredibly difficult to sort and, and, and recycle appropriately. So I think there's just a lot of examples and that comes into what you guys were mentioning as far as le legislation on, on enforcing more easily recyclable materials, cutting down on waste plastic that, that is, is, too difficult to recycle and is disrupting these entire recycling streams. It's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Alex. Um, so we have a question from an anonymous attendee who asked, uh, there's so much plastic in the grocery stores, even with produce, what can we do as consumers to reduce our use? I'll just jump in and I wanna hear from others as well, of course, on the panel. But I, the one thing they're still allowing at every market I've been to is those kind of mesh bags that are quite light and they have the little tear weight. If you have one that's made out of cotton, of course, uh, they, the tear weight, they'll deduct that from the, the weight of the you know, jalapeno peppers you're getting or certainly if it's something light, you don't wanna have a heavy bag charging you more money. But the point is you can bring these little mesh bags, which I keep in my uh, electric car <clears throat> or on my bike. And you use those to put in your apples, your oranges, whatever you got that needs to be in a, a bag they allow that at every market I've been to. Nobody is saying you can't use those because of COVID. So that's one solution there about eliminating uh, plastic bags in a place like a supermarket. Anybody else? I think I'd bring a, a slightly different approach, maybe a little more exciting one as well for all of you that are up for the challenge. Um, plastic bag exchange, like literally don't forget the power you have as a consumer, as an individual. Um, if the supermarket, your lo local supermarket is still giving you all of this plastic, take it, collect it. And then at the end of your shopping experience, bring it to the cashier and say, keep it. Look at all of the plastic that you're giving me and just sit with that. Like 
if if you get a lot of people to do that and this is a campaign that's done like all around the world lots of activists are doing this just showing the producers or the the um, supermarkets the retailers all of the plastic that they're giving consumers it kind of even if it is just the person at the cashier they'll call the manager and be like there's a bunch of crazy people giving me the plastic back you're making a difference and that's one way as a consumer that you can enact your power to show the local stores that there's actually a demand for them to change from plastic to more friendly alternatives. So I think um, that's just a different approach. Otherwise, obviously bring your, like Ed said, your tote bags, your mesh bags. Um, that's a really simple way that you can also get involved. And sadly, there's some things, certainly if you want to get apples, oranges, you can put them in those mesh bags. But if you want to get blueberries or strawberries, things like that, there are there's certainly farmers markets where you can get them without that. But you're hard pressed to go to Whole Foods and get blueberries, raspberries, things like that, that are not in some plastic container. They just You don't have the option of just going, well, I'll put them in a mesh bag. But if you do have to do that, certainly do. But Malati just recommended and you know, bring that plastic to them and show it to them and say, I don't want this. Help me find a way to get around that. And hopefully they will. Mm -hmm. Thank you, guys. Um, so Elaine asks, and, and I find this very interesting, can someone address the pros and cons of making clothing from recycling plastic? Yeah, I can, I can take that. Uh, that's so, so obviously, you know, like we said before, it's going to be incremental steps to reduce our usage. And, and, and this seemed like a good idea, right? It's, it's a demand. And, and, and what we addressed earlier is that you can recycle something, but if there's not a demand for someone to purchase it, it's just gonna sit there and there's not gonna be any initiative for people to, to go that route. So, so they saw this as a way to be able to, you know, say, oh, we're taking ocean pollution and we're cycling it into like a shirt or a sneaker. And, um, you know, I, I guess the upside of that is that you are repurposing it and you're finding a way for people to, you know, to find it appealing enough to buy it. The downside is that it has emerged as a very dominant source of pollution in the ocean. We're finding, you know, I've, I've personally found microfibers in research, you know, 3000 feet below the ocean. And we're, we're also finding them on mountains. And, and so it does represent, you know, a really easy way for a macroplastic to become a microplastic. Generally, that takes a really long time. But gray water, you know, it leaves your house, it goes to a wastewater treatment plant, and then it ends up going off into the environment more or less. And and so it ends up creating this really expedited route for something that's larger to become a microplastic and then end up right in the environment. So there certainly are downsides. I applaud the initiative and I hope it's, you know, just a stepping stone in the direction of, of repurposing plastic, but we have to be aware that it does have consequences. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, I think that the initiative itself is um, actually an awesome thing. It actually brings to the point, um, what technologies can we create to, you know, catch microplastics if possible? Um, what can we do moving forward to um, be able to continue a practice that does um, actually take waste, make it into a reusable product and have technologies that can also solve the backend problems that we're seeing with it. Um, so I had a question for um, Olati actually. Um, you mentioned how you, uh, how in taking a step back, we used to have um, like banana leaves and woven baskets and I find it very fascinating and valuable, the practice of um, like native practices, um, things that were practiced before all the technology started to flood our world. And I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit and talk about the values of like native practices and how recognizing them can be valuable into solving plastic pollution. 
Of course. I think it's um, really interesting as well that you use the word technology in the sense of the modern day, but technology in the olden day equals nature, right? And um, this was something that we just valued. It's something that we understood because the lifestyle here on Bali and in, throughout Indonesia is this um, philosophy that we have to live in harmony with the people around us, the environment, and the spirit within. And this is literally, it's not a religion, it's a, it's a lifestyle, and it's called Tri. Hita Karana. It's literally what everybody, every person here on the island of Bali will be able to tell you. And it's again, it's that harmony that we have um, with all three levels. And, um, you know, it's, it's why I say unlearning. It's not, you know, something where we're coming in, introducing something new. It's like, hang on a second. Why are we thinking that we can't live without plastic? right? Um, plastic maybe came 20, 25 years ago onto the island of Bali, and now it's everywhere. Indonesia as a country, we're the second largest source of marine plastic pollution. That's like crazy to think about, because before plastic was introduced, and before we knew the consequences, because we were not taught the consequences of plastic, nobody knew at the time when plastic came about what the long-term effects would be, what the long-term consequences would be. We were taught that plastic would be the lifesaver. We still use plastic for two reasons. It's cheap and it's easy. But when we look at the resources that we have around us, excluding plastic and looking at alternatives, we come up with, and, and these are um, comments or I don't want to say excuses, but they are still thing, barriers, right? Okay, barriers. When we look at alternatives, that they're expensive, that they're not scalable on a mass scale. So we have to understand that before plastic, there was a system in place that allowed us to continue with um, the, the market lifestyle, uh, purchasing, wrapping products there there was a system in place so i think it's just about empowering our local communities and our local traditions to go back to that tradition we know how to do it we just have to relearn unlearn and continue forward with something that's deeply rooted in our everyday traditional lifestyle thank you um so i think we have time for one or two more questions um i saw a question in here for you alex they asked, um, what do you do with the plastic that you collect from the ocean? And what are the best practices to dispose of it? And maybe you could suggest some alternatives to just disposal, maybe um, reusing or refusing something like that. Sure, sure. So the, the recycling process varies from uh, location to location based on the recycling streams available. But what we do is all the plastic that we collect out of the ocean uh, with our captains and crews, it's brought back to our facility uh, where it's then weighed, uh, documented, and then sorted by type, color, and condition. Uh, and what we're doing is, is we have essentially these, these large piles of the different types of plastic broken out so that when we reach the necessary minimum, minimum order quantities uh, to recycle this plastic, we can then send it to the appropriate recycling facility to, to turn that product into a usable form to be made into a new product eventually and, and eliminate the need for virgin plastic. Now, as with every, every location out there, there are items that they're collecting that are almost unrecyclable, to, to be honest with you. I mean, these are the dirty diapers, these are the contaminated you know, fabrics, just things that are, you know, in order to recycle effectively, they, items need to be cleaned and, and sorted thoroughly. And, and if, 
if we don't have the ability to do that, we exhaust all outlets to try and find solutions for this material uh, and just make sure that we can do whatever we can to find a sustainable outlet for it. But in some scenarios, there are small amounts of, of materials that unfortunately are going to thermal treatment or, or landfills because we've exhausted all of their outlets. And there's so many different complications that come into importing and exporting waste that it really just, it, it makes it difficult. But as we've talked about in this scenario, the, the most effective thing that we can do is to turn off that tap and, and, and cut down on that plastic that's being produced. Awesome, thank you, Alex. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll pose one more question um, before we have to step away. Um, so as we've mentioned, plastic is everywhere. It is a global issue. And I think that it's one of the few issues that yes, like Maliti said, um, it has to come from the top down, but I think there's so much power from coming from the bottom up from the grassroots. And I was just wanted, um, anyone on the panel can answer this. Um, what are the best ways to get people in your community active in order to start dealing with the macro level plastic, the physical pollution you see everywhere? And um, what is the value in doing that? Okay, I can, uh, I can answer that a little bit if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so, so um, I was just asking for the attendees here to uh, try and get uh, some information on how they could possibly, um, you know, start cleanups themselves or start addressing plastic pollution in the community themselves. And um, for me, in my experiences, it's a uh, have a very set goal, um, recognize the issue in your community and address the issues in your community. Um, and just don't be scared to reach out to anyone and everyone. Cause a lot of like, I don't think there's anyone that's really gonna say that, yeah, the plastic pollution in our park is good. Um, I think everyone's going to be able to help. And it has been complicated now with um, the current pandemic, but uh, strategize. There are safe ways to do it or even doing it on your own. Um, I think there's a lot of value in taking the cleanliness and the agency of your own community into your own hands. Uh, I think there's a lot of value and power in that. I, I and agree. I think, yeah, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Alex. Go ahead, Charlie. No, no, take it, bud. I was just going to say, if you find a, a something that works, if you if you find a way to beat the system, share it and, and tell people about it. You know, even if it's simple and it seems simple to you, it's powerful. And, and, and what I've seen is when people get a hold of information, when they see a change, you know, when they create a change, they become like these little grassroots movements where they share it with their family. Their family continues to share it. And and your and your voice does have a lot of power. So if you go to the supermarket and, and if you see like there's a cucumber that's by itself and a cucumber wrapped in plastic, Take a picture of it and use social media to connect with that, you know, that the grocery chain and, you know, in a polite way, say that there are, you know, there's advantages to not having this plastic version of it. Just have the regular naked version of it. It has its own skin. And and generally when I've tried that in the past, it's been effective, surprisingly. And they've, they've said, oh, yeah, you know, we can make that change or, you know, and even even with your dollar, you have quite a bit of power. So 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 much of what I've heard today is is really inspiring and it's and it's awesome because then I can take that information and pass it on to the people that I interact with. And, and so, yeah, so if you find these awesome ways of being able to reduce plastic, make sure you share it as much as possible. I, I agree. And, and Jake, to your note, as far as you know, the cleanups, I think uh, any step forward is a, is a step in the right direction. And, and, you know, it's one thing we talked about earlier. It's, it's really progress, not perfection. You know, we're not perfect. I don't think anybody's perfect. And, and don't be intimidated by that to, to just take that step forward and, and try and become a part of it and, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. But 
you know, and just like Charlie was saying, you know, getting that out there on social and, and using our tools and our platforms to really push that forward, that cleanup and that first, you know, clean up their local community is that step into the next, uh, the next phase of, of a sustainable future. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you all. I think we're near the end. Is that correct, Jake? That is correct. Yes. Thank you everyone for being here. Thank you all. A wonderful panel, Billy, Malati, Alex, Charlie, Arun. Thank you all for being part of this wonderful, wonderful panel. And I want to remind everybody, go to earthday.org if you want to be help, of help in that way or donate.earthday.org to be help, to be of help specifically in, in that way of funding. Uh, and I thank Earth Day for putting us all together. And I thank you all for participating in it in the panel and all of you out there who are watching. Thank you and say no to plastic today. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank, Bye -bye. thank you guys so much. Super honored to be on this panel. You guys are rock stars. Thank you. Likewise. Talk to you guys. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you all. Good afternoon. I'm Congressman Alan Lowenthal, and first and foremost, I want to thank Earth Day Network for putting this event together and for bringing attention to the important issue of plastic pollution. I apologize for not being able to join you and my fellow panelists live. While many of us may have recognized the plastic waste crisis for decades, Many are now just coming to terms with it and learning the public health, the environmental and the climate impacts that plastic has through its life cycle. From extraction at the fracking well, all the way to microplastics entering the food chain. Like the climate crisis, we have waited too long uh, to address the issue and it is now dangerous to ignore it any longer. It's for this reason that Senator Tom Udall and I introduced the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. This is the most comprehensive and meaningful legislation ever introduced in Congress to tackle the issue of plastic waste. This bill incorporates best practices and important common sense measures to ensure that our communities are protected from the health and environmental impacts of plastic production pollution and waste, and are no longer burdened with having to foot the bill for cleanup and disposal. By requiring the producers to be responsible for the end use of their own products, by incorporating minimum recycled content standards, and by investing in our domestic recycling infrastructure, we are creating the structure and the incentive to build better and more sustainable products and to close the loop for a circular economy. This legislation is a comprehensive roadmap to meaningfully tackle this crisis. And while it may be ambitious, it is certainly by no means radical. These policies are already being implemented in cities, in states, and in other countries. While the bill did not pass this Congress, 
it has successfully changed the dialogue in Congress. Earlier this year, the House Select Committee on Climate Crisis included the bill as a recommendation in their comprehensive Congressional Climate Action. We are proud to have the support of the Earth Day Network and Four Ocean, and I greatly look forward to continuing to work with grassroots advocacy groups, with the industry, with policymakers, and the new Biden administration to advance these important goals. For far too long, Washington has ignored this crisis. And I'm here to tell you that from here on, Congress is stepping up with you to break free from plastic pollution. Thank you.